For many things in life, it takes time and effort before you can see meaningful improvement. But luckily for us, eating better is easy with Factor's delicious ready-to-eat meals. Every meal from Factor is fresh, never frozen, and is chef-crafted and ready to go in just two minutes. There are over 35 different options to choose from every week, and it doesn't just stop at lunch or dinner, they also have a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. Truly every meal I've had from Factor has been delicious, but most importantly for me, it's beyond easy with no cooking or prep and especially no cleanup. Plus Factor is less expensive than takeout and every meal is dietitian approved, so I'm saving money and eating healthier even on the days when I don't feel like cooking. If you'd like to get started today and get after your goals, head to factormeals.com lightspeed50 and use code lightspeed50 to get 50% off. That's code LIGHTSPEED50 at factormeals.com slash LIGHTSPEED50 to get 50% off. Who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamor of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Lightspeed. Hello there, and welcome to the Lightspeed Magazine Story Podcast. I'm your host, Jack Kincaid, bringing you the last podcast for the August issue and the last one from my current location out in southeastern Pennsylvania, By the time you hear this, I will have arrived at my new destination in western New York, well, we can hope, and should have everything set up anew by that time, preparing for the September podcast and also Nightmare Magazine in October. That should be great fun. In the meanwhile, let's get to this week's story. Our next fantasy offering is Breaking the Frame by Cat Howard. Stories read for you by Stefan Rudnicki. Cat Howard's short fiction has appeared in Apex, Subterranean, and previously in Lightspeed. She is the content editor at fantasy-matters.com and spends far too much time on Twitter as Cat with Sword. Well, that about does it for this week's intro, so without further ado, let's make the jump to Lightspeed. Breaking the Frame by Cat Howard Escape. The photograph is of a woman at the center of a forest. She is slim and tall and pale as the birches she stands among. The shadows turn her ribs and spine into branches, into knots in the wood. Around her arms, the peeling white bark of the birches 
curved in bracelets. Between her thighs, the hair is dense and springy like moss. She is turning into a tree. All the stories tell us that this sort of transformation is the kind of thing that used to happen all the time, when maidens fled, good virtuous girls, before the rampant desires of the gods. When they could run no more, they stopped, put down roots, raised up branches, and made themselves inviolate. Very nearly always a god will prefer warm, wet flesh to splinters. To escape a god, a woman must lose herself. The wood closes around her. It was the first photograph he took of her. I need a model, he said, for an ongoing series of work, photographs. Francesca sighed and sipped her coffee. And I'm sure it's very legit, really, and any nudity will only be tasteful and artistic, and what are you doing? He had set a laptop on the table next to her and was opening files. Here's my portfolio, my agent's card, and the information of the last gallery where I showed. Call them. Google me. Talk to anyone. Then call me. The photos on the screen were good. If he was a creep, at least he was a talented one. And who do I ask for if I decide I'm saying yes? Her voice was warm at the end of the question, an answer already implied in the asking. You mean when? He smiled, and he was gorgeous. Vaughn. Vaughn Matthews. She said yes. Of course, she said yes. There are no stories when people say no. Six Seeds from a Pomegranate At the center of the photograph is a pomegranate, torn open. Seeds are scattered everywhere. At the right edge of the image is a young woman, hair tangled and eyes soft, as if she has just woken from a lover's bed. Her hands are stained red. Between her lips is a pomegranate seed. That was the first time they slept together. Francesca's hands were still sticky from the pomegranate's juice, and she left red smears across the white cotton of Vaughn's sheets. When they kissed, their mouths tasted of the wine-dark fruit, simultaneously sweet and tart, of desire so great that a person might consign herself to the underworld in order to satiate it. After she sat up, the red-smeared sheets pooled around her waist. You realize the only way this would be more of a fucking cliché would be if I asked you for a cigarette right now. What's wrong with being a cliché? Vaughn asked. There's truth in them. They wouldn't last so long otherwise. He tugged the sheet from her fingers, then laced his hand with hers. Tenderness, not lust. This, Francesca thought, this was going to be trouble. Delilah. The woman is shot from behind, thick, tangled hair streaming down her back. She is barefoot in a thin white dress. Held tightly in her left hand is a pair of scissors, blades open. Transformation is a magic that becomes more natural with repetition. It is difficult at first to slide behind someone's eyes, to pull their skin up and over yours. The seams show, 
the fit isn't quite. The next time is easier, and then the next, until becoming a new person takes no more work than buttoning on a new shirt. The thing about changing into someone else, inhabiting their life, even if only briefly, is that each time it takes a heartbeat longer to remember who you were. One more breath before your soul returns to yourself. You are never quite the person you were before. Perhaps not pearl-eyed, but sea-changed. Something strange. I want to try the shot with you completely submerged. Vaughn, the water is cold. Not lukewarm, not tepid, but freezing my tits off cold. It's making the blue tone in your skin fantastic. I'll get some close-ups, too. Francesca stared at him, then climbed back into the lake. The layers of skirts she was wearing clung to her legs, weighing her down, and the flowers that had been strewn across the surface of the water were bedraggled and worse for wear. She supposed she was, too. In and out of the water she climbed, Ophelia rescuing herself, only to drown again at her lover's request. Vaughn showed her the digital shots as he worked, and he was right, of course he was, about what the cold water was doing to the color of her skin, bluing her lips and shadowing her eyes in ways that makeup never could. Francesca looked haunted, broken, dead. The photographs were gorgeous. One more as the sun sets. So numb she couldn't shiver anymore, Francesca slid back into the water. And she slid beneath the surface, and she slid into darkness. Pray you, love, remember. Taken as the sun sets, the living fire on the surface of the lake is a stark contrast to the drowned woman floating beneath it. The photograph was only exhibited once, and Matthews had said he will never sell it. Speculation in the art world suggests this decision is due to the circumstances under which the shot was taken. The model, Francesca Ward, nearly died and then fell ill due to pneumonia. Matthews did no new work during her illness. Francesca fell in love with Vaughn when he brought a book of fairy tales to read to her while she was sick. That's not quite true. But she felt an ache inside her chest as Vaughn's voice broke over beauty leaving her family and running back to the side of the ailing beast, and the ache turned to warm honey as his hand fell from the page to hold hers. It was safe, then, his hand on hers, to say the word love. But really, the falling had been a foregone conclusion from the moment he showed her his photos and asked her to be in them. Vaughn captured pieces of the world, never as it was, but as it could have been, as it almost was, as it might actually be if we just looked around the edges and noticed the magic. That was how he saw her, too, Francesca thought, as if she might be magic around the edges. When someone sees you like that, Falling in love is always only a question of when. Beauty and In the foreground of the photograph is a rose on top of a cracked mirror. There are clocks everywhere, fallen, tilted, askew, 
and all with their hands fixed at three minutes to twelve. Given the shadows in the picture, one assumes the hour being chased is midnight. At the left is a woman in a ruined ball gown. She holds the head of a beast. There is a thing that happens to stories when you try to change them. Narrative is resistant to change. It clings to its themes, its arcs, its tropes. If you find the fault lines along the story's center and apply pressure, you can expose the pulse of its bloody heart. You can draw your pen through its entrails and read the signs within. But once you have, once you have gazed upon the heart of a story, your changes will be woven into its fabric, embraced as a variant text. The story will reshape itself around what you have written, will scar over the wounds that you have so carefully made. You can change it, but the thing you loved in the story will always look different to you after. Look back in. The woman is shot from the back, and there is a bright light before her, so we see her only in outline. She is climbing up a set of steps hewn into rock, climbing out of somewhere. Or perhaps not. A hand reaches through the light toward her. Instead of reaching for it, she looks over her shoulder, turning back. That wasn't the photograph I took. You saw the finished shot, you know. I was there, Vaughn. I know that's not the shot. I didn't turn my head. Never looked back. Why would she have, Francesca thought. She knew the story of Orpheus and Eurydice. It was Orpheus who looked back, and Eurydice who disappeared, returned to death. She trusted him enough to follow him out of the darkness, but he had no faith in her silent footsteps. I didn't look back, she repeated. I know, said Vaughn. But I thought about it. What? I thought about what it would be like, walking out of death and back into life, and how my feet would ache from walking, and how the sun would hurt my eyes. And what if I didn't want to go with him? What? I mean, we assume Eurydice loved Orpheus because of the story, and how he goes down to Hades for her and everything, but no one ever asked her if she loved him. No one ever asked her if she wanted to go back. So you did. Francesca laughed. I guess I did. I'm sorry if I fucked up your picture. I'm not, and you didn't. It isn't what I thought I was getting, but it's good. The problem with wonders is their duplication. When something happens once, it is a miracle. When the miracle recurs, it must be renamed. Language is not meant to contain miracles. To manifest, they require somewhat else. Subtext The photograph is a nude. The model's body is entirely covered by lines of text. The quotations are taken from fairy tale and myth, romance and fantasy, and they turn the model's body into a palimpsest from a commonplace book. However, if the text on the body is read carefully, it becomes clear that certain of the stories have been altered from their known forms. Which ones have been so rewritten is a matter for debate. 
Shadows of words remained on Francesca's skin. Ghost tattoos of stories that almost were. She had asked Vaughn not to tell her the lines he chose, not to say which stories he was inscribing on her skin. She had kept her eyes closed, had not read what was written on her body. And still... Some of them changed, he said. Like this one. Find me, she said, and stepped out of her shoes of glass. It makes the story better, Francesca said, if it's told like that. How so? Well, isn't it more fun to think of them in conspiracy together? Instead of the prince being some kind of foot fetishist and Cinderella just waiting around, happy to marry whoever shows up with her shoe. When you put it like that, yes. Vaughn traced the words braceleting Francesca's wrist, words he had written there, and only in the mirror to see the other. The phrase was unchanged on her skin, unchanged in the photograph. Others weren't, and his skin prickled as he read them. Francesca, I don't think it's my camera doing these things. No, I don't either. Every maze has a monster. This is a triptych of photographs done in sepia. The first two are cross-sections of a labyrinth, old with crumbling rock walls. At the bottom, running through the twists of the maze, is a golden thread. In the third photograph, there is the same labyrinth, the same thread, but now we are in its center. A woman stands there, she holds a spool of golden thread in one hand, and she is smiling. It is impossible to tell if she is unwinding the thread or gathering it back up. Stories change. They become unexpected and require a braver sort of belief. Not belief in what is, but belief in what could be. Possibility. Power. The picture didn't change, Francesca said. Did you expect it to? asked Vaughn. She thought of the cool air, the dry scent of dust, the strength of the cord she had wound through her fingers. No, no, I didn't. The way you composed the shot, Ariadne was making her own choice. You're still not going to tell me what direction you were winding the thread, are you? What direction do you think I was winding it? Francesca smiled half-sick of shadows. A boat rests beneath a willow tree. Scattered near the boat are pieces of discarded armor. Among them, the white shield, three bends gules of Sir Lancelot. A white dress drapes the armor. The lady is in the water, not drowned, but smiling. The light on the water is brilliant, bright glints like scattered diamonds like the pieces of a shattered mirror. Have you ever, Vaughn asked, thought about taking your own pictures? Actually, yes. I know exactly the one I want to start with. Freedom Francesca Ward's photograph is composed in a manner that echoes Escape by Matthews. But while the two images are in dialogue, freedom is no mere imitation. Rather, Ward's self-portrait is a reimagining. The strong lines of her body, 
The frank gaze with which she looks out from the photograph makes clear that this is the story of a woman, not of some thwarted god's prize. The tree is split, and she is stepping out of it. Welcome back. Wonderful story filled with symbolism and subtext. Artful in about every sense of the word. I hope you enjoyed the story. And if so, and if you find the time, please go to our website at lightspeedmagazine.com and leave a comment. Just click on fiction, find this story, and then leave a comment there. Or if you'd like to help spread the word, go to iTunes, find the Lightspeed Magazine Story Podcast, and leave a review or rating there. And if you haven't already subscribed to Lightspeed Magazine, please take a moment to consider it and check out our many options at lightspeedmagazine.com slash subscribe. Well, that does it for the August issue. Thanks for listening. Cheers from all of us at Lightspeed Magazine. Lightspeed. What does feminism mean to you? During Women's History Month, come explore feminism and how it's playing out in real life with Season 2 of Thread the Needle, a monthly podcast. I'm your host, Donna Schill. I use my background in journalism and draw on women's life experiences to add to the conversation on topics that matter to fellow feminists like you. Now in its second season, listen to new episodes each month as we explore finding yourself through divorce, battling call-out culture, questioning our ideas about masculinity, and discovering why girls' confidence plummets in their preteens. Guests include Stephanie Kuntz, historian and author of Marriage, a History, April White, author of Divorce Colony, and Loretta Ross, professor on white supremacy and call-out culture at Smith College. Listen to Thread the Needle on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.